0: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Euro 2020 coverage, it's day two, it's been quite a day, a day on which we were given a pretty good reminder that soccer is the most important of the least important things, to quote Jurgen Klopp there. And it wasn't very important today in all honesty due to what happened on the field in Copenhagen in Denmark's 1-0 loss to Finland. The match being suspended just before halftime when Christian Eriksen collapsed on the field. The events were pretty shocking to watch. They brought to mind uh, the incident in 2012 of Fabrice Muamba uh, yeah. on, on the field and Mark Vivian Fowey back in 2003, of course. I would say personally, my name's Ryan Bailey, by the way, um, one of the most upsetting live moments I've personally ever seen on TV. The game was suspended for, uh, uh, sorry, game was suspended after around 10 minutes with um, Erickson in hospital and giving um, positive signs. Uh, the teams both uh, decided to restart. I'll bring in the other members of the TSS team now. Joining me today, Mr. Taylor Rocco, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. It's been a, a strange day. We were
1: at my uh, niece's birthday party and I had stepped out to like, Say hello. And then my brother-in-law said, like, hey, man, you might want to come back in here and watch this. And I was like, oh, did something happen? And he was like, um, yeah, but there were a bunch of little kids around. So he was trying not to say basically, like, I think somebody might be dying. So he was trying to do it discreetly while getting kids out of the room. So that was sort of my introduction to that. Uh, And then not knowing what Mm -hmm. happened, texting with you all. Definitely a frightening, sobering, reality, like reminding sort of moment, as you've already indicated, Ryan.
0: Very much so, indeed. Joseph Lowry, how are you doing
2: today, sir? I am thankful, Ryan. I'm thankful every day, but especially yeah. today, I think, to, to be able to talk about some of this stuff with you guys. But as you said, Ryan, to be reminded that there are many more important things in life than soccer. So,
0: yeah. Graham Ruthven, you're joining us today. Welcome.
2: Hello, Ryan, how, how are you? I'm, I'm feeling a little bit drained, uh, to be honest, and
3: I'm not sure what sort of value I'll be on this, this podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. I'm just thankful for, um, I guess I, I would like to mention the, the medical teams and the paramedics yep. at mm. Parkin and, in and, and Copenhagen, um, who obviously, it seems, have uh, essentially saved the man's life. So, um, yeah, that that's quite miraculous, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point, Graham. The whole situation, it seems like a flash now, but I, I got that drop in my stomach, that roller coaster drop when it all happened, and I'm, st- I'm still picturing things that I, don't, uh, that I think are burned on my retinas now that I don't really want to uh, remember again from the incident. But I am thankful for that, Graham, and thankful for uh, uh, Simon Kiar being, being the first person to initiate CPR as well. Yeah. Uh, he made sure that um, Ericsson's airways were clear and he didn't swallow his tongue. He, he was also consoling his wife on the field probably saved ericsson's life it's hard to say but and also the medics as you say doing an incredible job they got to him and gave full cpr within two minutes of the incident um the denmark team forming a human wall around him for you know this was a very private crisis moment happening in a very public arena, so I think they deserve praise for that. Anthony Taylor, the referee as well, for stopping the game so quickly, and he was very quick to usher on uh, the medical teams. Uh, it, was, it was very lucky that the hospital was less than five minutes from the stadium as well. And there's lots of things we could litigate over with this, gents. There's, there's been discussion about what the media should and shouldn't have shown, what the cameras were showing, is um, uh, Erickson's wife, and wh- whether they could have cut to studio and dealt with things a little differently what i wanted to tackle is the fact that this game restarted not an awful lot longer after um after the incident happened it restarted 2:30 eastern um one thing that i thought was interesting was christian fuchs was in the studio with espn he's, he's a teammate of casper schmeichel of course so he was sorry for the past four years or so and he said words to the effect of i could see it in his eyes that he wasn't ready to play and you saw what happened with the goal and we can talk about that shortly Taylor. Um, but it, it seemed mm-hmm. like it was difficult they were given an impossible task these yeah. two teams. they could have played played on with this game or they were cho- I believe the choice was to play at noon on Sunday. Uh, neither of which is terribly desirable. There's positives and negatives from both, but I'm not sure there would be much benefit in waiting a day, but you could argue uh, that Denmark might have got a different result. Not that it's not I don't think any Danish yeah. people, remotely bothered about the result but I don't know why we're even mentioning it to be honest but no, the yeah, restart no I, bothered I, I me. I understand what you mean
1: I, th- I think it's I think it's basically that it's 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 a it's an impossible scenario in an incredibly difficult situation because no I don't think either either team really was able to be like fully focused and I imagine what that would have been like and I think you're always sort of like worried about is he okay there were reports i think that he was able to facetime the team i don't know i think it was before they resumed play uh, i'm not sure about that one uh his dad said that he's breathing on his own and is able to communicate so it sounds like basically the choice was made with the players not wanting to have to essentially spend an, a sleepless night worrying about him and then play the game it sounds like they wanted to kind of get it over and done with and then be able to process things. And I think the other reality, which is a reality, is that it's a tournament, and there's not really any way to move the whole schedule around, so the game Mm -hmm. has to be played at some point, and I think both teams probably wanted it played, ideally not in this scenario, obviously. So I don't really fault anybody, and to be honest, it feels a little bit like... What we should have learned from this is, like, I saw people attacking the medical staff for not putting him in in an ambulance fast enough. Why isn't he in an ambulance? This needs to be done. And in reality, I think they could not have monitored him the way they did if they had moved him quickly. And what I read was that they thought he was not fine, but had a pulse, things were okay, and then suddenly his pulse was, at best, erratic, I think Mm -hmm. is what I saw. So... I think there was an extra period of time where they were trying to evaluate and trying to deal with things. And I think what we should take away from this, aside from just being very thankful that that he is still here, is just that like everybody is always trying to do their best. <laughs> Nobody is out there being like, you know right. what, I'm going to go 50% today. And I think that those players who did resume play, I think I understand why they made that choice, and I think they gave it their all, but I also simultaneously understand that They gave it what they could, but I don't think there's any way they were able to give it their all because I think you can't in that situation. So it's just a really challenging situation. And now I think we have to try to like talk about this tournament going forward for sure. But it's also Mm -hmm. just a sobering reminder of there is other stuff at play and maybe take a
0: CPR class here or there. Exactly, you're quite right there Taylor And Joe, I know you covered um, Finland for the previews And it it seems, it's a little bit bittersweet It's quite sad for them This was their first ever tournament goal Their first ever tournament win It's a historic, iconic moment for them And you know, it's not a scenario in which they can Or indeed want to celebrate
2: too Right. It's this really crappy situation for, for so many different reasons. That is maybe one of the, the, the least reasons, the least important reasons. But still, I mean, yeah, they, they make it to this tournament and they they absorb some pressure throughout the game and they do some things well. And they, they go out and score a really nice goal in the second half. But I, I just can't shake this feeling that there will be this right righteous asterisks associated with this game that there will be this cloud over it and that's not a bad thing that's not a that's not a negative thing in the midst of this situation there should be a little bit of of a reminder here but for Finland they are one of the many parties associated with this whole thing that that have to deal with some of the negative consequences, and ultimately, the consequences could have been so, 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 so much worse. So again, I'm still thankful, and I'm sure Finland are thankful, and, and, and Denmark and everyone there, and in watching this game, that things didn't go a lot worse.
0: Absolutely, and I, I don't want to talk too much about the the game itself. Now, I'm, I'm fully full disclosure. I didn't watch the restart. I, I just didn't want to, and it did overlap with the, with the Belgium game as well. I didn't feel entirely comfortable with it, but Graham. I think there's been a little a greater discussion here about player health in general, about players playing too many games. I think I looked up that uh, Ericsson had played 48 games this season up to this point, 2200 minutes on the field. I'm not saying this is a a contributing factor to what happened here, but it it does seem like it's inevitably going to the conversation is going to steer that way.
3: I I'll, I'll always vouch for for player welfare and I think this summer is is a prime example of where where maybe that has been overlooked I would say in this specific instance that I'm, I'm maybe reluctant to to speculate about that with with Ericsson just because I think you just you listen to the experts and I am not an expert in that field and one of the things Taylor was mentioning there was you know people complaining about the the ambulance maybe not getting out quick enough. I personally have never made that that complaint just because I, I think, well, these people, they know a lot more right, than yeah. I do about these things. The things that I did have a little bit of, a, a, you know, complaint about or input about were things like the, the television direction because that's something that I, I feel like I can have a little bit of an opinion on you know that i have been involved in that that area um and and so yeah i feel like that 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 sort of thing is right for discussion but um yeah the medical side of things i'll just leave to the to the experts who are much smarter than than i are yeah and graham graham first of all i'm not sure anyone is smarter than you are but
1: uh, <laughs> I, I, I will say there is a weird possibility because maybe it is It is an issue of he played too many games or who knows what happened. But there's also a possibility, because again, we don't know, that it could have been a heart murmur or an undiagnosed heart issue that they didn't know was there. And strangely, there is a reality in which this is the best time it could have happened as weird Mm. as that sounds but like the Richmond kickers here in Richmond their former head coach who's in his early 40s David Bulo or was in his early 40s uh, had a stroke recently and I think had a stroke as he was going down the stairs or near the stairs fell down them and did not respond and there's a chance that this could have happened at home for Christian Erickson and then Mm. who knows what would have happened and so if it were a thing that maybe is exacerbated by the number of games that's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed and dealt with But if it is the case that this was just a a, a freak medical incident, to some extent that he was surrounded by a team that could respond that quickly, both literally his team but then also a medical team, maybe that's the silver lining if if there is a silver lining to be had at all. So I think at the end of it that we keep going back to just being grateful that that Christian Erikson seems to at least be... As okay as possible uh, or somewhat okay, is is a very good thing. And that I guess that everybody gets to be here to to continue to talk about soccer and people get to listen and watch. And it's just a good reminder that we should care and we should watch and we should want our team to win and our favorite players to do well. But we should also be very grateful that people are out there playing and people are out there watching.
0: That that is a one hundred percent what I was thinking earlier, Taylor, about this being uh, one of the better circumstances for such an awful thing to happen. So you're quite right there, and I- I've calmed down a bit from earlier. This this really did, did quite get to me this this, this yeah. moment, as it did a lot of people. But I, I found something really powerful in the way the fans react. And it's a little clip we played at the start of the, the podcast here of the Finnish fans and the, um, the 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 Danish fans doing a call and answer response of Christian Eriksen with his name. And it's one of those things that makes the game special. One of those beautiful moments where you realize that this game does bring people together. It mm-hmm. does bring people through difficult times. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for the way the situation was handled. Um, we're hoping the best for Christian Eriksen and we wish all the best to him. And his family at this time. Should we move on to the events in Baku, gents? Wales versus Switzerland. What say
2: you? I say yeah. Bring it on. Yeah, Bring it let's on, Ryan. Do it.
0: All right. We're going to go to Baku, the Olympic Stadium. When was the Olympics in Baku, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Can you? TBD, Ryan. TBD. Right.
2: Okay. It's an alternate <laughs> okay.
0: timeline, Ryan. They did Come this um, sort of. Uh, <laughs> overview of the stadium from up top but it looked like one of those like you know in like fifa 98 where you had the overview of the stadium before yeah. you started playing the game it looked it didn't quite look real this sort of stadium with athletic track around it with it was supposed to be 50 percent capacity i think the uh commentary said it didn't look like it was anywhere near. I think not-
3: i think it was the same person that counts the attendance at the etihad that they had on <laughs> uh, th- on hand in baku for that one <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, dear.
0: So, yeah, um, this one finishing 1-1 between Wales and Switzerland. Uh, Kiefer Moore being the, the hero of the day for Wales. Joe, i got some got some XG for you. This might perk you up. Um, uh, Wales' XG was 0. 0.46 in this one. Uh, the Swiss's was 1.77. Wales only had 36% possession.
2: So when you look at those numbers, Wales did well to come out with a point. They absolutely did, yeah, and Kiefer Moore was the big man on their goal. Both goals in this game coming off of set pieces, which I think was indicative of, or is indicative of how play sometimes goes in a tournament. Wales... Wales and Switzerland came out and played pretty much how we thought they were going to. Wales didn't set up exactly in the way that I had envisioned them. They were in a 4-3-3 as opposed to a 3-4-3. But, I mean, Mm. the general flow of the game was what we talked about it being. With Switzerland controlling the majority of the possession, they created more chances and open play. And then Wales trying to attack more in transition right up until they went down 1-0. I think it was a decent tactical setup, honestly, from Robert Page to deviate from that two-man midfield, adding in another player into that group to match up better with Switzerland's three-man midfield of Granit Xhaka, Freuler, and then Shakiri playing as that free-roaming number 10. I thought there were some good decisions made by Wales and, and ultimately strong of them to take advantage of that set-piece opportunity in the 74th minute
0: definitely so um, Graham what were your thoughts on this game it seemed to me like uh, Switzerland they, they they took the lead in this game and then decided to do almost Mourinho-esque sit, sit deep and try <laughs> yeah. and defend it and it backfired Mourinho-esque quite in, in, in that as well they, they took the foot off the gas a little bit didn't they?
3: Yeah and that, obviously that was uh, it, it, it was embodied by the decision to, to take off Shakiri, the, mm. the the power cube as I call him um, <laughs> with 25 minutes left 1-0 up they decided to take him off, who's obviously one of their most creative players, and, and put on a defensive midfielder when it felt like they had the advantage and could have pressed for a for a second goal. Um and it felt like that's how the game was going at that point. I, I can't shake the feeling that Wales were a little bit fortunate here to come away with come away with a point. It, it really yeah. could have been I mean, I wouldn't go as far as say tournament over because third place teams can go through, but it, it really would have put them on the back on the back foot of defeat here, and I just felt like um, Mbolo as good a game as he had, and he did. He did have a good game. I, I feel like he could have done more damage with. What, he he had a lot of space between the the midfield and the and the Welsh um, defence, and he was he was running with the ball a lot there. And I felt like he could have done a lot more damage either with his decision making or a teammate spurning an opportunity. Um, Savarevic missing a, a, a couple of really good chances. I, d- I don't care what the numbers say. I'm pretty sure he's never scored in an international soccer match in his whole career. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I, I can't shake the feeling that Wales got away with a little with one uh, here. Two things to
1: say in response to that. First of all, I don't know if it's just that it's been a sort of like somber day, but Jernan Shikiri Power Cube is like kind of still making <laughs> me laugh, Graham. <laughs> I think I think I needed that, and I'm calling him <laughs> the Power Cube. From now on, um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about specific predictions at some point, if we want to, but I will say, can can I give credit to sort of all of us for saying, like, we've been burned by Switzerland before, they look very good, they destroyed the United States, let's see how it goes. Because this was sort of, I feel like, the exact performance that we all discussed in varying formats, that it's a Switzerland team that have a ton of talent and some some of the best players, I would say, in this tournament on their day, and yet... In this day, they had those moments of like, oh, he should have scored there, but they'll get another chance. And there always feels like there's going to be another chance, and that if you don't take that chance, eventually time expires and you haven't gotten the result you wanted. So especially in those opening 10 to 15 minutes of the second half when they do uh, they do get the goal and you have like just Embolo really has been like I think taken like and just told go do what you want go run the defense try to make things happen and there's the confidence there and I think they are starting to find that rhythm and then they make the changes then they go more defensive that uh, Zakaria for Shakiri substitution I understood it in the moment but it always feels like oh you're taking your foot off the gas a little bit mm. and can you take your foot off the gas when you're only one nil up it seems like the answer was no so I'm with Graham that it doesn't mean that they're done it doesn't mean that you know a third place game going or a third place team can go through and we thought it might be Wales I don't think it will be Switzerland but it is still a reminder of why the Swiss haven't been able to really put it together
0: at that next level that we thought they might be able to but we're always a little bit cautious about in this game and Taylor, looking ahead, I mean, looking at the chatter on online, it seems that Wales fans, a lot of them, seem quite confident or have been confident of, of getting a result against Turkey as well. I'm not sure. I think yeah. Turkey are a lot better than what they showed against Italy. I'm not so sure that confidence is well placed.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I saw it going the other way. If anything, where the question was, were Turkey so bad that maybe Italy aren't that good? That seems to be mm. the backlash, which I do not agree with. I think Italy were just exceptional and did a very good job of exploiting like Turkey's shortcomings, what we're going to get when Wales plays Turkey is the sort of age old question of what happens when two teams that want to sit deep and counter play each other and who has to really go on the front foot and try to make something happen. Or is it two teams like, is it going to be World War One style, two teams on their respective sides not crossing the no man's land? Like, what are we going to get? How is that going to play out? I think whichever team tries to make something happen, that will probably tell us who is going for it. And then whichever team is able to make that happen, as opposed to maybe that team that's going for it gets caught out, concedes three on the counter, and gets embarrassed. So I think that's going to be a fascinating game from a tactical standpoint.
2: Can I throw out one very early, very specific prediction? A very early, very specific prediction. Lots of varies in there. For that Wales-Turkey game, I think so. in this game we saw Kiefer Moore, big, tall, strong, number nine, start in the middle of Wales front three. He started over Harry Wilson in that spot. And Harry Wilson is the, the much smaller false nine type of player that Robert Page has used for Wales in the past in games where they are going to have more possession, or at least games where they want to have more possession. So I bet, Taylor, we see Harry Wilson start as the 9 in that game mm-hmm. against Turkey, and Wales do try to go for it a little bit more and avoid that World War I-style conflict.
1: All right, that'd be good. Do we think that they're going to play uh, Aaron Ramsey at all? Because I know he didn't play at all in this. Oh, no, wait, he did? Uh, yeah, I I like, I like. know that's a bad joke, but it really is the case that only in like the 38th minute or something was that like, oh, Aaron Ramsey's on the field? I don't know if that was maybe Switzerland just being so ball dominant, especially in the first half, but I did not see a ton from him and wasn't so surprised when he came out, though I was surprised it was in the 93rd minute.
0: And. Yeah. and I- yeah, G- Graham, is it you or Taylor who's Daniel James's biggest fan? I can't remember. Uh, not not me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's not oh, Taylor. Not me. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: I can't. I like Dan James.
1: I think he's he's a uh, he's got a good attitude. I just don't, and I think he works really well for this Wales team. Just maybe not for a team that wants to possess and create through possession.
3: Taylor, when you were saying there, you 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 didn't realise that that Ramsey was on the pitch. There was huh? a, there was a point in in this match where so you look at this Wales team and you see. Bale, Ramsey, James, Joe Allen, you know, Joe you Rodon. Know? And then there's a point where at, at this match where I went, all oh, right, they're a team full of players who are out of form, have barely played this season, a and boy. that's why they're maybe playing, they're not playing this, that well in this game, is that, you oh, know, they, wow. they have none of that momentum. Yes, they've got the big names, but none of them are playing that well. Oh, man. That blows my mind a little bit. You are totally
1: right. <laughs> that's really fascinating. All right, that does make a little bit more sense. because, And I think that's where I go back to, though we've I've been pretty critical of, of some of what Wales were doing and some Welsh players, I think getting a 1-1 draw against Switzerland, a team that I thought could, could make a run and could be a threat in this tournament, and when they went up 1-0, it felt like, okay, here we go, we're going to get it really kicking on. And then when I thought Switzerland got the winner, that ended up being disallowed, I thought okay, this is going to be Switzerland finally getting the result. And the narrative will be like, oh, they found a way to get a result at the very end of the game, and then they didn't, and it's one-to-one. And I think the Welsh should be very happy, and and not least because they had some traveling fans who were pretty up for it. And I think it's a credit to them to make it all the way to Baku uh, to celebrate their team in style. Yeah, And also also credit...
2: Sorry, Ryan. Also credit to Wales for having three players in the starting 11 who had the first name of Joe. Uh, I think that is really <laughs> what got them over the line in this game. And now over to you, Ryan. Sorry about that.
0: So uh, the, the cube was playing Joe Cubed. Is that what we're saying? Yes. <laughs> yes. And
2: Joe Cubed will always come out on top, even though that didn't actually happen. They came out close to on top, darn it. Very good. The
0: power cube, I should say. I can't leave out the power there, of course. And Taylor power cube descri- versus
2: a Joe Voltron.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. The uh, I, I'm enticed, by the way, Taylor, of your description of Wales and Turkey being two teams who'll sit back. That June 16th game, the next one up for Wales and Turkey. Must see TV, that sounds like. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to that one. <laughs> A match uh, already being billed as, no, you have the ball. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. The hot potato. No one wants to touch it. (laughs) Wonderful stuff. And I I think we can still, this game was very much billed as a, you know, the race for second place, which Turkey are of course in as well. And I think still Switzerland have a chance of of doing something decent in this tournament. They are a good tournament team. They are very competent. They've done well. They're coming into this in good form. They have, they have the good players. I will say in my preview piece, I did say, you know, Brian Bolo has let us down before. We shouldn't count him as a key player. He's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. Oh wait yeah he was pretty really quite good in this one. he he was excellent was not he? he he won the the corner for the for the goal he had a nice mm-hmm. um a n- nice couple of layoffs as well so i am I'm, I'm relatively encouraged from what I saw from 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 Switzerland in this game, I'd say, but I still can't quite call uh, who's going who's going to come second in this because we're all agreed that Italy going to storm it, right right everybody yeah yeah
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel that way at least yeah,
0: <laughs> I, yeah. all right. Very good. Why don't we turn our attentions to St. Petersburg, Belgium against Russia? Uh, Belgium coming out 3 0 winners in this one. Uh, Russia getting us off to a great start by uh, their players not taking the knee and the uh, Russian fans booing Belgian players for doing so. Big sigh, insert big sigh. Uh, Belgium were very much cruising here joe uh didn't seem like it was really in doubt for them um it seemed like to me that they were kind of in third gear for much of this one although in uh the much talked about tss whatsapp chat you you posited a theory that they maybe weren't on top four
2: they didn't look all that good to me in this game yeah they they win three to nothing and, and they didn't create chances nearly equal to that level a couple of the goals are very fortunate but they go up one nothing early on in this game. Lukaku scores that goal in the 10th minute. They add another one in the 34th minute, and then they finish it up and finish it off in the 88th minute. And, and honestly, that 88th minute goal from Lukaku and the build up to that goal with with Meunier driving the ball forward and playing a really lovely through ball that was one of the only real moments that I felt like Belgium had had used their quality to some sort of sustainable output. Right? It, they looked to me like they were too content to pass the ball around Russia's 4 4 defensive block. They didn't look dangerous moving the ball forward into the heart of that block. At halftime, I looked at their heat map on who scored in. It looked like a U-shape, with the U-shape being the box in zone 14, essentially the, the, the heart of that U. They really weren't accessing those areas. They ended with 1.37 expected goals. I mean, I'm not worried about this Belgium team at all, but I, I didn't find their performance to be particularly inspiring.
0: Uh, for more info on Zone 14, listen to the latest Soccer 101 podcast. Nice plug for you, Taylor. You're welcome. I appreciate um, that. Thank you, buddy. Graham, um, you made an astounding prediction that, oh, I think it was Lukaku would be good and do
3: some goals. <laughs> was that your prediction for this one? Not quite, not quite. My, my specific <laughs> prediction was that Lukaku would, would either conduct a, score um, a goal and either conduct conduct the counterattack for that goal or finish it off. And and so I'm, I'm taking the third... One uh, as as that prediction coming true, and yes, it might not have been uh, the, the most revelatory prediction, but I just thought it was a bit of a weather vane of how successful Belgium were going to be in drawing Russia out, because I thought there was a chance that Russia might just sit deep and absorb and, and deny Russia uh, sorry Belgium that space in behind, and we all know from the twenty eighteen World Cup that Lukaku and Belgium like to to run in space. Really, Martinez is one of the, the sorry Martinez. That's the the Brit and me coming out there. <laughs> <laughs> Martinez It's it's ingrained Right in there From so many people Calling him Roberto Martinez For Just so long Just call him Bob Martin You know you want to <laughs> Okay yeah Bob Martin um, He was one of the I think one of the first managers Who actually Really got a grasp On the sort of player Lukaku was And at the 2018 World Cup Was a, a big moment for him Where we saw the player He could be Obviously Antonio Conte Was watching that And decided he was the striker He needed at Inter Milan A few years later But I think It, it, it was a weather vane Of how successful The game plan was From Belgium And so so that goal proved to me that that it worked to a certain extent although I do understand what what Joe's saying it did feel like they coasted through a lot of this match
0: yeah but you can only you can only play against what's put in front of you that 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 accounted for some of the coasting did it not
3: yeah it did and i think um it was roy Keane on the on the the uk broadcast over here he was saying basically he wants to fast forward to the bit that belgium will face a real test to to understand <laughs> how good they actually are and i right. totally get what he means by that this game, Belgium won, I think in large part just because they have better players. And so I know that's a very simplistic way to look at things. I want to see them up against a team that has comparable quality players to kind of find out what they're really made of. So I get what Keen's saying there. Yeah. I would say, though, like
1: I agree with what everyone has said. I would just add the note that this is the same Russia team who, when I talked about them in the preview, it's worth remembering how much running they did in that 2018 World Cup and how difficult they were. They're the ones who knocked out Spain before eventually getting knocked out by Croatia themselves. But they were really difficult, and especially as the game went on, if you weren't able to find a way through and started to get frustrated, that seemed to be where they were at their most comfortable in kind of constantly fighting and finding a way, not literally fighting, but like just never giving up, always working, always trying to make something happen. And so that's where, again, I give credit to Belgium for sort of getting this 3-0 win never really feeling like they had to get into that top gear but also never really letting Russia get comfortable at all it it honestly looked like if you uh you know like some like like the i think the third born movie starts immediately at the end of the second born movie like that's how it mm-hmm. picks up and this If you told me this was like picking up immediately at the end of Russia getting knocked out of the World Cup, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. They're very tired. And just seeing how they conceded and the way they looked when they conceded, they just already looked exhausted in like the 34th minute. It did not inspire uh, confidence, I'm assuming, for Russian fans. It did not for me uh, in thinking that maybe they were going to fight back, and they didn't. So credit to Belgium, and we'll see if Russia uh, maybe gets some oxygen or something like that and, uh, and up the game for the next one.
0: We'll talk about uh, uh, Russia's energy levels very shortly, Taylor, but uh, fun interjection. I was in the third born movie. Fun fact for you. What? Yeah. What were you doing? Were you born?
1: <laughs> <Damon>? <laughs> Are you Jason
0: Bourne? Is that what we've learned? <laughs> so there's a scene at Waterloo Station in London yes, where, um, where the journalist um, is, uh, is taken out and Jason Bourne's giving him instructions. Spoiler on alert that. for
1: Jason Bourne.
0: <laughs> the The Bourne Ultimatum from 2008, I want to say. I mean, if you, so apologies if you haven't seen it yet. It is a tremendous yeah, movie. I love the Bourne movies. Um, but uh, they they just it wasn't a closed set. I was just walking through. I got off my train that day, and literally Matt Damon ran past me, and I watched him awesome. film it twice. It was incredible. And like the directors there, and they I can't. They had a, like a code name for the movie on their on their like clapperboards and stuff. It was it was a very fun afternoon. I stayed around for a little while, but because the the, um, the cutting is so quick, you can't quite make me out. But I'm there. Believe me. I'm there. That's awesome! Like genuinely, yeah. that's really cool. It was a very, yeah, a very exciting end to a very dull winter Tuesday, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, Taylor, back to Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the energy levels in 2018. Mm-hmm. They weren't quite matched today. Is there something different in their regimen or something? <laughs> I mean, I, I would say if we wanted to be
1: generous, we could point to the fact that they are all two to three years older. Mm. Uh, and I think and that Yuri was... Zirkov is still playing. He he looked every bit his 37 years. Yes, yeah. and I mean
3: that he's only he apparently only played 79 minutes for Zenit yeah. this season. So I, I wasn't too surprised when he pulled no. up uh, about 36 minutes into this game. And <laughs> as to a have some kind of hamstring a, injury. Yeah, as a gentleman in my like. Mid, mid to later
1: 30s, uh, I will say that that is the type of injury that starts to happen at that age. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, I went to kick a ball and somehow I hurt myself. Like, I wasn't even warming up yet and I've already strained something. So I think there's probably a, a little bit of the sort of just longer legs. I also think it, it's, it's easier to catch a team if you're not expected to do that type of running to work that hard. And... When you are the surprise team, you can get away with that. Once teams figure out what you're doing and sort of know how to deal with it, it gets a little bit harder. It's why I think it remains the case that I think Leicester won the title because everybody just expected them to stop being good at some point and no one really adjusted to what they were doing. Uh, Here, I feel like Russia sort of went for the same tactics, the same approach, Mm. and Belgium are a better team, have better talent, but I think also had a better game plan for how to effectively deal with that, and they did.
0: You very diplomatically answered my question there. Congratulations, Taylor. I'm not trying.
1: I know what happens to that journalist (laughs) in the Third Born movie, and I'm not trying to have that happen to me.
0: You'll be in the gulag with uh, Andre Shevonov after that um, that error for the I, goal, by the way. That's yeah, maybe so the best you, case scenario. You want to yeah. be careful there. And uh, Ar- <laughs> exactly. Artem Zuber up top um, with a bit of grey hair. He's mm-hmm. got more grey hair than me. He's also got more inappropriate, uh, out- outrageous uh, internet videos out there than I do. But if you don't mm-hmm. know the story that, don't right. Google it. You don't want to know about that no. if you missed that story. Uh, Taylor. That oh, the mind is
1: racing. The mind is racing over here.
0: <laughs> well, you can Google it if you like, but be, you know. Don't. Be, your history is gonna, <laughs> going You're gonna regret it, um, Chris Joe. Graham you, just you made saying a prediction. Don't. <laughs> oh no.
3: <laughs> just don't. <All> right. <laughs> I wish okay. I hadn't
0: brought it up, Joe Lowry. Oh I'm no. To get to your prediction that you
2: made about Russia.
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Let's move I'm, on. Waiting
2: Taylor, I'm waiting for Taylor. I'm to uh, collect himself, as the oh, consummate boy. professional right. he always is. Cool. You, that didn't remember, that one, huh? <laughs> you didn't remember that one? You remember that one?
0: Joe, your prediction from yesterday, Russia. Tell us about yeah,
2: it. Yeah, so I predicted that <laughs> that Zuva, the aforementioned uh internet fame guy uh, would have three moments of hold-up play. Yeah, yeah. Would have three moments of hold-up play where where he would bring the ball down and Alexander Golovin could run off of him and and advance the ball. And that happened in the first half alone. There was a moment in the 14th minute that got Russia a corner kick that uh, Mario Fernandez nearly scored on. Then it was again in the 35th minute and again in the 37th minute where Golovin drew a foul. That very clearly was Russia's game plan especially in the first half. They actually tried to play a little bit more in the second half down two to nothing but but man it almost it it, it shouldn't have shocked me but it it, it was a little shocking to me to see just how simplistic their attacking approach was it's Play the ball long. We, we, we have no midfield structure. Play the ball long into our number nine, our big, strong, tall number nine. Have him bring the ball down and body Belgium's trio of center backs, and then we're going to go from there. It didn't work, and Russia created almost nothing. But the fact that they've they've come into another major tournament with that as their primary attacking game plan kind of boggles my mind. Hey, Ryan. do you mind yeah. if,
1: I just want to clarify something Joe said. Joe, did you say that they did end up
2: combining three times, Zuba yeah. and
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the case that Zuba was just playing with himself? There no, we go. not at You're all. You're welcome, fellas. You're all.
0: welcome. <laughs> Goodness me, Taylor. Family <laughs> show. Come on. <laughs> all Russia. right. I hope anyway, I save some people some googling. I hope I save
1: some people some googling. <laughs> I
0: think. Um. I think this is this was a this was one was always a free hit for Russia, wasn't it? Because they're going to be looking at the games of Finland and Denmark, and that group is certainly made more interesting by Finland's result today as well. They're going to be looking at you know a win and a draw for them is going to be comfortably enough to put them through. Do they? deserve to go through though i think i think that's my question though i don't i don't know the answer but uh i, I know obviously we're going to see belgium come out of this group gents any ideas from what we, we've seen everybody play now um any ideas Taylor. well it, i'll let joe or
2: graham go because i'm still reeling from the zuba news I think I need <laughs> oh, some
1: time to collect myself
2: i was just gonna say it's a hard question to answer right now because i don't think we can actually take a whole lot away from finland denmark that's right there yeah I, I think i think russia for their simplistic attacking game plan, actually had a solid defensive approach. I thought they compressed spaceball. I thought they high-pressed more and better than I thought they were going to. But I don't really know how they'll stack up. I don't know how Denmark are going to respond. How are they even going to play? In their, like, I'm not saying they're not going to play, but how are they even going to play in the rest of this tournament? What are they going to look like? Can Finland go out there and defend again? And There's just so many questions that I have, and it makes it hard to formulate an idea of how this group is going to play out. Indeed.
0: Well, this group will continue on the 16th and 17th with Finland against Russia and Denmark and Belgium. The next two fixtures in Group B. Gentlemen, why don't we have a quick look ahead to tomorrow? Sunday's action, day three at Euro 2020. 9 a.m. tomorrow. Who is this? Oh, England, Croatia. (laughs) Goodness me. I am. uh, I'm quite nervous about this one. Um, Why don't we get some less biased opinions on what's going to happen here? Joe, any thoughts on how
2: that one's going to shake out? I think I, I think it's going to be a good game. Honestly, I think England are probably yeah. going to control more of the ball. There's so much talent on both of these squads. I I think the pattern for the tournament so far in most of these matches has been one team completely controlling the game. Like Turkey let Italy control the game. Switzerland controlled the game. Denmark was controlling the game. Belgium controlled the game. I think that England-Croatia match, England will have the edge in terms of how they approach playing with the ball. Mm -hmm. But I think it could be more back and forth and maybe a little bit more open than some of the games we've seen so far. And that has me a bit excited.
0: Me too. Well, I, I, I'm i not sure I necessarily agree though. I, I called this one as a, I think I called a 1-1 draw, a nervy 1-1 draw here. I was harking back to the first game of the last time England hosted a, a European Championships, which they're kind of doing in this instance. It was a, It's a game at Wembley after all, uh, which was Switzerland 1-1, uh, a, game, a game against Switzerland 1-1 in, in Euro 96, which was quite nervy and England didn't look like they were going to be up to much at the tournament, but picked up things from there and you know the cliche of a slow start and so on so I'm not sure we're going to see some electric action I really hope we do Joe I really hope we do but um, any, anyone Graham what are your thoughts
3: I was with you on the 1-1 pick about a week ago and the closer I get to the game I just I think England might start strongly um, I don't really have a reason for that. It's just a little bit of a hunch. I I, I feel like this, and and the, on the flip side of um, with this the flipping of the script of what it was with Belgium, where I don't really know how good they are because you kind of want to fast forward to later in the tournament where they face a good oppo- opponent. This is the perfect gauge of how far England have come since the last major tournament since two thousand eighteen when obviously they were knocked out by Croatia. And, and not just the fact that they're facing the team that beat them then, but the, the, the way that Croatia beat them in that game really exposed the weaknesses of that England team as mm-hmm. well as they did at that tournament. And I think since 2018, they've obviously got a, a number of players who can uh, who can control a game. Uh, Declan Rice, Phil Foden, Mason Mount, uh, Jude Bellingham. And so th- this is going to be real proof of just how effective they are at, tying it all together and making the most of that talent that they didn't have in in 2018. So my hunch is that England are going to win this game and then uh, lose to Scotland on Friday night.
0: All right. Well, this is the uh, first Group D game. Uh, The other one will be uh, Monday at 9 a.m. Scotland's first loss. Sorry, Scotland's first game of this tournament is against the Czech Republic at that time on Monday. We'll cover that, of course, on Monday. Uh, Taylor, we also have Group C getting underway on Sunday. We're going to start off at midday Eastern with Austria against the mighty North Macedonia. I believe Austria Hmm. was your team for the previews, if I remember. They were,
1: and Croatia was as well. So really quickly, I just wanted to say, pay attention to who starts in the middle for Croatia and where they start. I would assume Luka Modric will be in the starting 11, but mm-hmm. is he playing as the number 10, or is he playing in like as part of a double pivot in midfield? We've seen him do that for Croatia before. Is it Brozovic by himself? Is it Vlasic central with Modric deeper? Is it Kovacic in there? But I think the personnel that they start with centrally will tell us a lot about how Croatia want to play. And I would say Simi Versalko is, an, is a mainstay, is a fixture for Croatia, but is also the right back that uh, lets... Uh, Diego Simeone I've spaced on his name for a moment Diego Simeone wasn't really convinced of this season so maybe we see England sort of attack that right hand side England's left hand side so those would be two things I would spotlight for Austria again it comes down to where's David, David Alaba going to play because he can play left midfield he can play, can play central could be a center back could be a left back i'm leaning towards he's going to be a sort of wide midfielder and be an outlet but maybe come more central if they're trying to build out but i would say keep an eye on where david alaba is playing how involved he is and how much north macedonia are able to or focused on limiting his effectiveness
3: on the ball and off the ball
0: graham any north macedonia bants for us
3: um just goran pandev that's my only (laughs) banner.
0: Excellent. Well, that one's at midday. Uh, we're going to be saying uh, Hup Hoop Holland when they take on Ukraine at 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow as well. Very much looking forward to that one. We've got um, Andre Shevchenko's Ukraine, of course, uh, who are quite a counter-attacking side, quite creative. Uh, they've done very well leading up to this. Certainly they were good. In, uh, they won their group. They they finished above Portugal in their group, to, in the qualifying group, I should say, to get here. So I'm looking forward to when they face uh, stiff opposition, opposition that were nearly beaten by Scotland, we should say, uh, in... Uh, in, in the netherlands uh, which one have you covered the netherlands in the previous i forget it was Anybody?
2: me it was me ryan joe thoughts on the netherlands uh great great country great area i mean <laughs> i i think <laughs> it's hard to say how some of these games are going to play out before we actually get a chance to watch these teams at this tournament right but we're gonna see the netherlands come out likely in a 4-3-3 they're gonna try to hold on to the ball i'm curious to see if it's gonna be memphis to pie or luke de jong up top as that nine Depay is more dribbly and De Jong is more of a target man. We've seen target men be effective in this tournament already. So it wouldn't shock me if we see Depay moved wide left and then Luke De Jong used as that number nine. But either way, I would expect the Netherlands to control a lot of the ball and, and try to break the uh, try to break Ukraine down in possession.
0: Yeah, very good stuff. And I'm looking forward, by the way, to seeing where Zinchenko plays on the field. He's like the ultimate utility man. He might be in goal for all we know for this one. So uh, (laughs) look forward to seeing how that one shakes up. I think that's just about everything from today's Euro 2020 update. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me today. I will just say... um, uh, I, I did miss yesterday's show, and I'm very sorry for that. Um, I was also very sorry that ESPN didn't broadcast uh, Andrew Bocelli singing Ness and Dorma, which Graham Rutherford described as. He described Ness and Dorma as that Andrew Bocelli song. Um, <laughs> Can you name another one? I mean, I don't think Ness and Dorma was a Bocelli song. That's kind of like saying that the, nas- the English national anthem is a Harry Kane song. I think that's <laughs> kind of what you're Sure. Going. Okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but Bocelli is, Bocelli's uh, version is the, the the most renowned one, is it not? I would have thought Luciano Pavarotti's Italian 90 was
0: the more renowned one for for a soccer fan. But hey, you were born the year after that, right?
3: That is correct, yeah. There we go, yeah.
0: Um, a a,
1: bit, a big-headed Englishman who is maybe having more and more of a receding hairline, not throwing stones because I have one too, but also <laughs> speaks with a very thick English accent and sounds kind of funny, it feels like he could be in the royal family. So maybe God Save the Queen is also for Harry Kane. You don't know.
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, there's some there's some anachronism going on there, but sure we, we can go with that, Tay We can go with that for sure. And I did enjoy, or I didn't enjoy, the uh, the Bono floating head thing for the We Are the People song with the edge with a small child on a keyboard who was apparently a Dutch DJ called Martin Garrix in there. A curious um, uh, opening ceremony, quite similar to the Champions League one with the with the virtual effects and whatnot. Um, I was disappointed in all of you, by the way, for not mentioning the toy car that brought the ball onto the field. Where were you heads? Yeah. Which apparently has been a thing in the Copa America for like years. Didn't know that, haven't seen that, but wish I had because I thought it was awesome. It was awesome. It's all I could think about, frankly, afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, gents, we're going to be back uh, on Sunday after the games to talk about England's first win and all the Group C action as well. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you so much for joining us today. You got it, Ryan. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always, sir.
3: Yep, it was uh, good to talk over today's games, even if uh, it, it, there were some some dark moments in there. But I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Indeed, indeed. As we all are. Tay Tay
0: Rockwell, keep on trucking. You do the same, my friend. And thank you all for being here. This is
1: part of the reason why I love being able to do this show in these types of moments, in these types of days, because you get to kind of talk out some stuff, process some stuff in a way that you probably wouldn't otherwise get to. And I definitely feel more connected to the soccer community and a little bit more positive about things. So thank you all for that
0: sincerely. Indeed. Warm hugs to you, tay and all the listeners indeed. And for now, bye! bye.